If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Marleya. Hello, y'all. Hey, Courtney. What's up? Talk mm. about this drink, first of all, that we're going to be burping in your <laughs> yeah. ear. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it's a beer-based drink. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I really did have to burp. <laughs> wow, that couldn't have been better. Um, yeah, it is a shandy made with... Um, Lavender, rosemary, and chamomile simple syrup and lemon juice with a local pilsner from Goat Head. Goat, Goat Head Island? Goat Head Island, I think, uh, from Coleman. And, um, oh yeah, Maker's Mark bourbon too. Forgot that oh, part. <laughs> good <laughs> So it's a bourbon drink. I found it. I've, I've, it's been, a, I've edited it a little bit from Witchcraft Cocktails that was recommended by Jen Luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see, what's her widespread luck tarot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will share the recipe and the picture of the book too. And it's. So did you call this a shandy? Yes. Okay, what is a shandy? So it's like a citrusy beer. Okay. So um, I've taken a pilsner and added the lemon juice and then the the um, herbal simple syrup in it too so that it's actually in the book it's called a barley moon shandy hmm. oh, okay. and it's one of their summer they have cocktails by the seasons and by like your um astrological sign so it's the end of the leo we're starting in the virgo. virgo virgo now yeah so um, this was actually a leo cocktail so i'm a little behind it's <laughs> all right this is a sun cocktail for the harvest season hmm. Well, as now I know the harvest season's basically over because I was like looking yeah. at the farmer's market thinking I was going to go yesterday and I'm like, there's like nobody coming anymore. We mm. have the fall harvest coming, but I the know. summer, the yeah, tomatoes the are pretty day gone. that I was like, I'm going to go to the farmer's market was like the one day where it's in between the two seasons. No, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm like, you know, now that I'm ready to go and I get up and it's like, you know, I missed it. <laughs> Same with the strawberries. When we went to the strawberry field, it's oh, yeah. like by the time I got like ready to go, it was like, well, we have maybe two strawberries. <laughs> And they were right. They had like basically two strawberries. <laughs> it was still fun. I, I, but I'm that way with everything. I am the after person. Like, because I don't want to go with the crowd. Yeah. I am I am such the anti let's do it at the beginning. It's why I'm always like blink and I'm like, oh crap, Christmas is next week. I guess I need to start shopping. <laughs> well, shit, you know, like <laughs> I'm an event procrastinator. That's what I am. So many of the people that are on our fans group on Facebook and just my personal friends and all this are always, you know, Instagram and all this like sharing. I can't wait till it's Halloween. It's already Halloween in my heart, all this stuff. And I was like, I see those practically all year round. Mm-hmm. And I just realized the other day that we we're getting to where it's like, oh, it's it's actually starting to be Halloween plan in time now. Mm-hmm. But y'all fuck me up because you say that it's Halloween all year right. round. And then I kind of like, <laughs> no, it's not. And then it's going to be like October 25th. And I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. Uh, I, oh, I did. Yeah. Time. Yeah. 
You're Halloween blonde. (laughs) And my kids, they got some serious plans now. They hardcore cosplayers like have been saving Mm -hmm. money and deciding when they're going to order in order to like keep up like optimal Amazon prime delivery time. Right. Because they're like, oh, I remember that one year I waited until October. You need to like six weeks for it to come in at least. They need to order now. Like if you're going to do your costumes, which is another thing I found out, like when my son decided, oh yeah, like a week before I want to do Halloween. And then like I Amazon, I'm like, well, this will be delivered like November 23rd. Exactly. (laughs) Your Christmas outfit. You can be a Christmas demon. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's like we got a box. Let's let's do something with the box. See, that used to be the way we, oh my God, I sound so old. When I was young, <laughs> we made all our costumes out of cardboard boxes. But hey, this is your... sometimes we did. No, we lived it. I mean, we totally did. My dad yeah. made my brother, my one of two of my favorite costumes that my brother ever had. It's odd. I don't really remember any of mine, but they put like a leotard on my brother and filled him with um, blown up balloons and made him He-Man because he had all the muscles and everything, oh, which is right. pretty cool. And then they made, he acted. My dad actually made a Pac-Man costume, but it was made out of two round pieces of plywood with like a, a kind of a frame in between that would sit over Ross's shoulders. Oh man! And so he, they painted the whole thing, and I never asked how heavy it was. <laughs> I bet it like, was wandering <laughs> along, like bumping into oh, every damn thing. But it was pretty cool. I was yeah. like, "That's the most awesome thing." That ever. is the most awesome thing ever. My favorite Halloween accessory was made from cardboard. I'll never forget my mother making it. I wanted to be Glinda the Good Witch, and I had this pink dress that I had worn in a beauty pageant that was all, like, frills, and she let me wear it again, and she made me a wand (gasps) with a stick and cut out a cardboard star and then covered it with aluminum foil and glitter, and I thought it was the best thing Aluminum foil (laughs) covering (laughs) for special effects. my life. I love that wand. A 70s thing. Yes. I was probably about like 83, mm-hmm. something like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So funny. Oh, good times. Good times. Well, this is your PSA. I Consumers still make my own PSA. costumes, though. Right. I know. Well, you're good own. at it. Yeah, I was like, you when are. I try and make my kids' costumes, everything turns out all janky. Or, yeah, me too. Or when I try to do my costume and makeup, I'm like, why did I even try? <laughs> Let's not forget that I hot glued my hair That's three true. years ago when I tried to make the unicorn horn. And I put it on my head before it dried. And I oh had to get my hair cut out. <laughs> Speaking of like gluing things together, did y'all see that news article where the guy died because he glued his penis together instead of using a condom? What? (laughs) Glued it together to what? (laughs) Itself? Did he glue the whole shit? I I think he glued the whole shit and he it killed him. (gasps) Well, that's with super glue. I think so. I know. Oh, he glued the whole shot. Mm. Just so you have Does he sex know everything comes out of that, right? He knows. Let's see. You're not like a girl. Yeah. Like you got one hole. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> oh, my God. So sorry to bring that. <laughs> bring everybody down. We're going to go back to that like episode of Orange is the New Black. <laughs> they're like looking at themselves with a mirror. Um, how many holes do I have? <laughs> exactly. But, um, no, because our friend Jeff from the Parental Advisory Podcast, um, which you should hit if you haven't, um, movie reviews and such, 
had had sent us to another like penis related Tennessee news clip of a dude that had cut off oh, his own yes. penis. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh my It God. sounded like the Lorena Bobbitt story, but the dude had just cut off his own dick instead right. of somebody else doing and it. And through yeah, and there was yeah, they were having an ambulance. Sh- well, everybody's having an ambulance shortage oh, yeah. basically because of all the hospitals being filled up. Um, but yeah, that was horrifying. That mm. is horrifying. People. People. Be nice to your penis. Exactly. <laughs> what? PSA for the day. Why? This is going to be a great episode. Oh, man. I'm feeling the shandy already. Well, it's got bourbon in it also. We made it double to start, so. Lord. Lord. Well, that's basically all I got. Well, we got, um, excuse me. Sorry, I told you. Um, we got to send love out to everybody on the coast oh. right now. Because as we are recording, not as you're listening to this. Right. They're getting hit with a hurricane on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. So Right, same day. Know so that we, I guess, as you listen to this, we're thinking about you on that day. And hopefully you're okay. And if I'm really hoping that like we're not still having to be mobilized and sending Red Cross donations every Right. You know, every couple of days. But if you are, by this time you hear this, please send donations and do what you can to help if hopefully it's not that bad. So right. We'll I just, I just, I feel for everybody, like, I mean, for their property and their families and stuff, but also just for the fucking mental drain Man. that people already have because of the situation that we're in with COVID and everybody surging down here in the South yeah. and it being like negative ICU beds. I mean, it's been almost two years and y'all know how much um, mental and emotional drain we've had just with dealing with kids and, you know, trying to keep everybody safe and having to combat or not combat because we're not really combative people, hmm. um, people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing to keep their community safe. Um, you know, it is emotionally draining. And then on top of that, to have to use or count on or know that the resources that are not going to be there because the hospitals are already filled up and the staff is already drained. And then you have this natural disaster on top of that. It's, I I just I feel I, I couldn't I don't know it's tough so we yeah. we feel for all of those um you know that we're going to be unpacking this for a long time you know so I don't know yeah we nobody needs no more trauma no we, nobody year. needs no more trauma emergency rooms they don't need any more trauma no um so just stay safe and um know that we're thinking about y'all yes we are all right. So on that same note, speaking of hurricanes, we did the Aunt Julia knows yes, who I was just thinking about that predicted today. the 1915 New Orleans hurricane that wiped out that small town. And um, I was, you know, I didn't want to do anything. I, we still haven't touched on a lot of the Katrina stories mm-hmm. simply because I just, I'm not prepared because there's a lot of like really bad stuff that happened during Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes beyond just the storm. That yeah, just exactly. goes beyond just the storm. Um, that I just haven't had the heart to research and I don't even, you know, when we do stories, it's like 
a lot of it is a mood. Like if we go too dark, we have to like counter it with like, you know, alien sex or something <laughs> crazy, you know, Sasquatch porn. I don't know why we always like <laughs> go to sex. <laughs> Some like, of those that you mentioned were mine. <laughs> <laughs> why do you always have to go to sex? <laughs> but it's fun right (laughs) um and so you know we try to balance uh and so I was like I don't want I didn't want to get you know go Katrina dark Mm -hmm. um but I do you know want to talk about one of the kind of lighter sides um of a hurricane um what is they called harbinger uh like what what pre- tells you that it's coming that's coming oh okay yeah so and i ran across this um in a news article and it's uh the south carolina uh folklore ghost lore uh, specifically uh Polly's island uh about the gray man have you ever oh, heard I've about heard the gray this. man yes no. okay oh it's cool so Apparently, and there's many, there's many variations of this legend, and it first came about like around the mid 1800s, and supposedly this gray man appears and warns people before a hurricane um, comes or hurricane. However you want to say it. Hurricane. Uh, There has been sightings before Hurricane Florence in 2018 where a guy named Dennis Hammond uh, was surfing and saw this uh, gray person or this guy dressed in gray near Garden City. And then that was like right, that was right before Florence. And then he's been spotted again uh, with Hurricane Hugo. And um, so let's just talk about who this grain, gray, grain, <laughs> gray man is. The folklore about him, of course, comes from like the typical, you know, love, lost, trauma, you know, fiance thing. Mm. So supposedly the gray man is the ghost of this young man who is traveling to Charleston to see his fiance. And like you do, you you're you're on your horse and you get caught in quicksand. <laughs> like how many stories? That is not where I thought that was going. Like you do. Like you do. Wait, if, I if you're a man, quicksand wasn't real. Like if you're if you're a young man going to see your fiance in the Carolinas, then quicksand is an imminent danger in for you. In what year? Uh, uh, the early these are early 1800s okay. I think okay. got it okay but it says <laughs> in in the description in the yeah in the description it says caught in quicksand like pluff mud wait 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 pluff mud pluff mud yes we know this okay I didn't know this. I was from like, Tavi? from Tavi from Island. Little Tavi. Yes, yeah. yes. So pluff mud, if you don't know, which I didn't know, is basically the mud lining that's in uh, the salt marsh floor. Yes. And are. the thing about it is that it has a really bad smell. Like it's a really different smell. Like people know this smell, and it's because plants and animals go there to die. <laughs> Right. Plants and animals and young fiancés oh, go no. there to die. Um, and it has like one of the byproducts is sulfur. And, Ooh, so and it smells like farts. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's yeah. it's like a big 
you know, so it's a big fart pit. It's a big fart pit. Right. It's terrible. So he dies. Play. He never shows up. She thinks he's abandoned. She's a he's abandoned her. She goes looking for him. And he appears to her and says, you got to take your family and leave because of the storm coming. So they leave the next week. And, of course, a big hurricane come, came. Hurricane come. I know. Hurricane come. I am. I am. I say hurricane. I say hurricane. Okay. <laughs> We're going to say hurricane then. Because, yeah. Uh, and so this is started, you know, or that was the folk lore behind the guy in the gray ghost. Great man. Sorry. The guy, the, in the, gray suit? the guy in the gray suit, the gray man, and uh, normal folklore. This folklore actually appeared in uh, Unsolved Mysteries, and they interviewed this guy named Jim and Clara Moore because apparently they saw the gray man before uh, Hurricane Hugo hit. And I watched it. It's like a little, you know, little episode there on all Unsolved Mysteries. And I'll put it in the show notes. And it's funny because totally they've got that Carolina Southern accent. Mm. I'm going to see if I can do it. I can't really do it. <laughs> but her especially is just like it practically destroyed the island. I can't do it. But it's like that old lady Southern slow speak. And it was just like, it was, I was fascinated I can tell it (laughs) It practically destroyed the island and she said something else um and I was like oh my god how she said that I would never be able to do (laughs) but I I love the accent um and you know it destroyed everything but their house like it didn't touch their house at all and the legend is if you see the gray man and a hurricane, like he's he's telling you that a storm system to come and you take heed and you leave, your house will not be touched. So it's kind of like a good omen to see him. Um, you know, he's a warning and he's also letting you know that your home will not be touched. And there's many stories that, you know, go on people seeing the gray man and then their home uh, haven't been touched. And they, they said, you know, nothing like everything else was just a pile of sticks basically on the island and their home was like every like their salt and pepper shakers were still on the table their mm. magnets i mean everything there was nothing touched about the home and everybody else's home was um destroyed and they didn't think about it but they they encountered the gray man on the beach like two days before the storm hit and the guy was going to like talk to him and he went up to say hey and uh he just like disappeared in front of their eyes which is really really creepy mm-hmm. so who is the gray ghost other than this story that he's the fiance of, of this lady um people are like okay really he's i don't think that's the truth <laughs> 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 because people are like maybe because he looks like a pirate he's dressed like a pirate he's dressed like a pirate he's dressed they say he's dressed like a pirate oh okay and they think maybe he's percival uh, polly who is the um, island's namesake. Or maybe he's this guy named Plowden Charles uh, Generette Winston. Wow. Yeah, Generette Winston, which is they say is a very South Carolina name, um, who owned uh, a home early on the island and owned like the Pelican Inn. Or it could be 
Edward Teach. You know Edward Teach? Mm-mm. Otherwise known as Blackbeard. Oh, Nuh-uh. yeah, Blackbeard. Yes. <laughs> Everybody wants it to be Blackbeard. And so I'm like, Blackbeard, okay. That kind of threw me, though, mm-hmm. because when I think of Blackbeard, actually, when I think of uh, pirates as a whole, I mean, it's very romanticized as from the movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's either romanticized or like they're the boogeymen because mm-hmm. they're the worst. Um, possible people, which probably is closer to the truth, right? But I think of like the West Indies. I don't think of South Carolina, North Carolina, any anywhere in that area. And it's just kind of like been blocked from my mind as like pirates didn't exist, but you know, down in the Caribbean. I think about it because of drunk history only, though. They have oh, a story yeah, about they it. They have yeah. stories mm-hmm. about pirates. And, right. and the and, inns and, in, you know, Savannah in, in Savannah and um, Charleston. Like Charleston, too, mm-hmm. had like special a inns that were supposed stories. to be like pirates had tunneled under from, you know, mm-hmm. the coast into right. this inn and, kind of thing. And see, that makes sense. But like, no, when I think of those pirates, I, I don't know. think of like Blackbeard. Blackbeard is just such like a a big, huge figure um and storytelling that he couldn't possibly be from kind of the same area yeah. and he was and i'm i was just like you know this podcast has really set into place like it's made me put our history and the folklore more into context and, and than any other time like in my youth um where I was studying history and, you know, we were learning about this stuff, but it just didn't click because, you know, young people are of the hearing here and now. And I'm pretty sure I was more worried about like hairspray and peg leg jeans. <laughs> instead of peg leg men. Instead of peg leg <laughs> men. Yes. <laughs> so who was Blackbeard? He was actually English born and his name supposedly was either Edward Teach or Edward Thatch uh, went by several names, of course, and probably because of the writing, somebody would like pronounce it wrong or get it, you know, spelled wrong. Totally understand. I'm sure it happened a lot more uh, than it does now. But his moniker, Blackbeard, came became you know very popular very quickly because uh, eyewitnesses would give testimony about seeing this tall, thinly built man with a long black beard. It was very distinguished on him. And he took it and ran with it. Um, He got into piracy probably through joining a privateer crew early on in Jamaica, which at this time um, was a British colony. So we're talking about like the early 1700s. This is like 1716 before America became America. Um, Still a lot of uh, colonization and stuff. And the first mention of like Blackbeard Thatch uh, in any sort of like recording was a merchant captain named Henry Timberlake who was attacked by pirates. So two ships and they called them sloops i think one captain by uh edward thatch and the other one um by this guy named benjamin uh hornigold and he was thought to be like the mentor of um this guy and so this captain's writing this report and he describes you know the black beard and everything and it kind of stuck uh black beard went and you know 
sort of like grew his fleet and just did what pirates did. Um, and I want to make the distinction, if you didn't know, because I had to look this up again. Uh, what, when he got started with the privateering, privateering is basically piracy, but for like the government or like huh. for somebody rich. It's like hiring a mercenary to do your stuff. So they weren't like being pirates for themselves at this time. They were being pirates and looters for somebody else. They were hired to do that. So that's the difference. And that's how he got started um, being a pirate. Well, that sounds shitty. <laughs> but now he's like full-time pirate of <laughs> himself. He's his own pirate. Pirate 401k. Right. <laughs> and um, he has this small fleet of like his crew and many ships that they are basically disrupting the um, trade going from Europe to uh, the Caribbean that are carrying goods and slaves. And uh, they came across this French vessel called the uh, La Concorde. And it had, it's like this two-ton slave ship with 16 cannons, like this huge vessel. And like he's in all these little, you know, slopes, I guess what you say. And they pretty easily overpowered this huge um, multi-cannon vessel because half of the crew on the uh, La Concorde were sick with dysentery and um, oh, scurvy no. from traveling over from um, France. Oh. And so Thatch sees this, or Blackbeard, sees the ship. He renamed it Queen Anne's Revenge, and it became like his primary ship. And so he, he's got this massive. He's got thing like with this cannons. massive <laughs> badass pirate ship, and it's like all for show, which totally fit in with this personality, because he was known to like when he set upon, um, you know, a ship. Uh, he would like wax the end of his mustache over his beard to little points and like take candles and or candle long matches and stick them on the brim of his uh, hat and he would light them. No, so sure. he would be like this very like uh, demonic looking ah. like crazy eyed oh pirate. God. He's so lucky he did not light that pomade on fire. <laughs> that shit's so flammable. Well, he might have you just on that but it was like all part of the act and so he got very quickly this um this reputation um amongst like you know the colonies and other pirates and stuff to be like this really fear inducing so that he didn't have to use much violence um you know they saw him and they were like oh shit look at you know it's blackbeard it's <laughs> like take fire. my stuff and he's on fire <laughs> take my stuff you know and um so it worked for him right uh at the, during this time pirates kind of work together sometimes like if they had like a big score they would like seek out other people and a lot of the pirates i found interesting uh were like sons of rich people and they got into piratry because it was like they were trying to show their parents like 
And like, you know, Whoa. you can't own me. You can't like tell me what to do. I'm going to be a pirate. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to this pirate that Blackbeard um, hooked up with. Uh, and he was called the Gentleman Pirate. And so there's this rookie pirate. He bought this ship called the Revenge. And he had no fucking clue. He, you know, paid. He, he got all these, like, crew that he bought that were actual pirates and stuff. But all these pirates, like, that he bought for his ship were like, this guy has no fucking clue. Mm-hmm. And somehow he got hooked up with Blackbeard. And so he was like, okay, I'll show you the ropes. But, of course, Blackbeard being a pirate, it's always going to be, like, looking for the opportunity, looking out for himself and stuff. And, you know, they went and pillaged and stole and, you know, <laughs> did some things together <laughs> and looting. And I think after, you know, a little while, Blackbeard was like, you can't fucking captain your ship. And he's like, he put his <laughs> crewman as, like, the captain of his ship. Um just because obviously he didn't know he didn't know how to lead, mm-hmm. you know. He was just the rich guy that was rebelling against his rich parents, right? Oh, that's so funny to me. <laughs> and so um during the same year, Blackbeard ran aground his his ship, the um Queen Anne's Revenge, hit a sandbar and wrecked it. And about this time, uh you know, the gentleman pirate, and his last name was Bonnie. Bonnet. Bonnet, not Bonnie. Oh, wow. That's also unfortunate. It's, it's really unfortunate. I could just see him like, it's not Bonnet, it's Bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is even worse. <laughs> the dread pirate Bonnet. <laughs> the Bonnet. Um, he went to shore during this time because he wanted to seek pardon from the... Um, governor for some of the crimes that he had had done because um, obviously he was worried about that so while he was ashore blackbeard was like hair <laughs> like hard <laughs> <laughs> and he stripped the revenge and sailed off in it well the, yeah yeah i mean it was like dumbass um which is it was basically his already because he pretty much put his men on it um so He's in this new ship, the Revenge, and they're in South Carolina area being pirates. Mm-hmm. And uh, they run, this is 18, this 1818. So it hasn't been that long. Like all of this stuff happened relatively quickly. Uh, they run this blockade uh, across the mouth of the port of Charleston. And they basically set up a toll booth. So it was like you couldn't go in or out with, like, turning over your loot. Mm -hmm. And as people were coming in to, um, you know, that area, you know, if it was, like, somebody's son, and I think it was, like, maybe a governor's son or somebody of important son, they would hold them hostage for, like, money. And one of the things that they held... um, hostage one of the guys hostage for was for medicine the black beer like i have these hostages and we need a chest of medical supplies so they got that and they went off and um you know his crew started like going off with other people or retiring or whatever you know people go their separate ways 
and uh, he's like, you know, yeah, you know, and you know, Blackbeard's thinking, you know, I should probably, you know, settle down myself. So he goes into conversations with North Carolina's governor, who was Charles Eden at the time, and he gets, well, he asks for an official pardon, and he gets it. What? So he gets totally like pardoned Why? there in North Carolina. I guess because it's North Carolina and not South Carolina. Yeah. Like, ah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, he settles down uh, in a town of Bath in North Carolina. <laughs> and supposedly he marries one of the local women and whatnot. And it was like the thing of the day to invite Blackbeard over to like your soirees <laughs> and stuff. So like all these dinner parties, oh, yeah. he would have like, you know, um, he would be invited to, to like regale his tales of poetry. He was very, uh, oh obviously he was very like theatrical and stuff. However, he couldn't like pirate, being a pirate was in his blood and so he's living there in bath and all of a sudden he shows up with this french ship <laughs> and they're like what the fuck blackbeard where'd you <laughs> i thought you retired and uh he's like well you know he's like i had it there i was like i was just out you know in about one day and i just happened to find this abandoned <laughs> vessel and it just happened to have all the loot still in it and you know oh how God. can i turn that up <laughs> <laughs> you know what what do you want me to do it's like leave it out there <laughs> so he takes over this vessel and um you know he maybe does a few party things here <laughs> and there and um later that year in 1718 did i say 1818 i meant 1718 you Sorry. said 17 earlier okay earlier yeah i meant seven we're, we're in the 1700 y'all yes. so 1718 uh before we were america <laughs> right or whatever <laughs> right um a captain uh the dread captain is what it says here no uh, way charles van who had like a crew of 90 they sailed up to um blackbeard's place there in bath and they're like look man it's like we want to attack nassau it's like and we need your help um and blackbeard was like you know what he's like why don't you come with me to this island we have and this is um ocracoke island Ocracoke? Ocracoke. Yep. And I looked up how to pronounce that, and that's how you pronounce it. Ocracoke Island. <laughs> and uh, he's like, let's just, you know, let's just party a little bit. So they fucking have, like, this huge pirate party. Yeah. Lots of rum. Uh, lots of rum on this island. And it was, like, this, like, multi-day festivity thing on this outer island. And people, <laughs> I want to go there. People Smart are going, festival. again... What the fuck? Pirate party. What the fuck, Blackbeard? Right. You know, I didn't sign this homeowners association (laughs) agreement to have pirate parties in our neighborhood. Um, And it worried a lot of people. And and he got away with it because uh, people speculated that the governor, Eden, um, and Blackbeard kind of had a uh, cordial relationship and that probably uh-huh. there was some privateering going on for the governor. I was going to say that pardon. That yeah. It was, it, there was a little suspicious, right? So they have this pirate rager <laughs> and it gets around and Virginia's lieutenant governor is going, what the fuck? 
Um, <laughs> why are, do we have pirates coming into our neighborhood and throwing down, you know, and having a great old time? And so this uh, lieutenant governor hatched this plan um, to get rid of Blackbeard once and for all. So he hires this naval officer named Robert Maynard um, to go down to North Carolina. And he basically tells him to invade this little colony to get Blackbeard, which is totally illegal. So it's like one state is telling, you know, is saying, hey, go invade this other state because he had a full pardon, right? So they go down to the island of Ocracoke and they catch Blackbeard and like 18 of his crew members dead ass drunk. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker there. And they attack. Um, the pirates wake up and they have a good fight, but Maynard actually prevails and ends up killing Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Oh, no. <laughs> Blackbeard. Wait, Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Sorry. Maynard kills Blackbeard. This is where he dies on Ocracoke. Yep. Wow. He does. Still good. And cool. Oh, really? They. Um, <laughs> so you're making plans. <laughs> We're going on a vacation <laughs> soon. It's very deserted. So. Oh, awesome. Go ahead. Well, sorry. <laughs> no, obviously, it's a great place for pirate ragers, right? Exactly. <laughs> so they. Um, he kills Blackbeard and beheads him. What the fuck? And <laughs> takes his head and hangs it from the uh, the bow spirit or whatever it's called, the little sticky out thing at the beginning yeah, of like the, ships. the lady on the front oh, of the ship. No. Yes. Wow. And so they hang it and he sells back to um, Virginia and um, he mounts his head on this pole near the intersection of Hampton and James River as kind of a warning to pirates. Why does this make me sad? I'm upset I'm now. Too. I'm kind of sticking with the picture of Blackbird as like the Blackbird. chummy dude. Blackbird. <laughs> Both of y'all. You hardly drink anything. I'm the I one drink that's half drink of all mine. It's, it's a <laughs> tongue twister. Doubles. Yeah, it's a tongue <laughs> twister. But I feel I, I, I'm stuck on the idea of him like telling stories at people's soirees and so shit. So Maynard right? killed him? Yeah. Okay, so his head is hung up. So his head is hung up, and um, that's basically the end of Blackbeard. <laughs> However, in 1996, in Buford, North Carolina, Ooh. that we've talked about before, they discovered his ship the Queen Anne's Revenge, um, and they dig it up. And, of course, they're not going to find treasure because if he goes aground, <laughs> those pirates are taking everything. Yeah. Like, why do you think there's going to be gold in there? It's not like they these died. They just pirates. These are pirates. They stripped everything, but they did find, like, medical syringes and a, <laughs> scraps <laughs> of paper that presumably came from a 1712 adventure book. So they basically found, like, uh, medical supplies and comic books. Oh, my God. Which is really crazy. Um, so more than likely, Blackbeard is not the gray man, but it's so interesting to me, like how they possibly could connect and yeah. that he was in that prevalently in that area that it's not as romanticized or foreign or like mm -hmm. away than, you know, when I think of like the West Indies yeah. and stuff like that. Um 
but that's my tell. That and so I have some more fun facts about Blackbeard uh, for the after show. Yeah, Blackbeard. Well done. I love that. <laughs> Me too. Well, thanks. And now apparently I'm going Ocre on vacation. We're going to Ocracoke <laughs> Island too. I'm Ocre telling y'all, Coke. it is cool. 16 right. miles of pristine, um, uninhabited beaches. Like, Dang. It's nice. All, mm-hmm. They don't sell beer there then. Yeah, they have a village. Oh. <laughs> is it a pirate village? <laughs> it looks kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think We've learned now. nothing. I think it's bougie now. Yeah, yeah. Bougie pirates. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a break. All right, be back in a sec. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. And we're back. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, for something entirely different now. (laughs) Nope, something completely different. Um, So, I have a story. That is probably going to be multiple episodes. Because <laughs> now I'm like, hey, look Man. what I can do. We're like, it's like, this is a thing. <laughs> this is a thing now. Um, because I got a book on it. I actually ordered it a couple weeks ago and it didn't come until that Friday. So there was no way I would have been able to do it the last time around. And I kind of started it. But y'all know how book reading goes. <laughs> it's like, I'm not done yet. But, um, you know, this is a story I'd, I'd heard about. It's a historical thing. And it's like covers so much of it covers louisiana and mississippi and north carolina so anyway that's that's kind of a like like yeah that was a weird yeah that north carolina is like way over there wait a minute what what so um we shall jump in so on uh august 23rd 1912 is when this story starts so and oh, before I go any anywhere, actually, before mm-hmm. I go any further than the date, mm-hmm. uh, everything I'm going to talk about comes from a book called "A Case for Solomon" by Tal Mcthenia and Margaret Dunbar Cartwright. Cutwright, sorry. Mm, okay. Does, so doesn't ring any bells. Well, okay. So okay, it's 1912, August 23rd. Lessie Dunbar and her husband Percy have left their home. They they're from Opelousas, Louisiana. And they have two sons, Bobby and Alonzo, and they're going to spend a couple days with some family at a fish camp on Swayze Lake, which is not that far from Opelousas. And this is all, like, this whole area is, like, straight west of Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this time... It's western Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So at this time, Bobby's, like, four, and Alonzo's two. Percy's a real estate guy and, like, an aspiring politician He's kind of coming up in society. The family's just bought a new home outside of the downtown area of Opelousas to raise their two kids. And, you know, this like nice Victorian house and everything's going good. And um, so they, they've come to this fish camp because it's Lessie's uncle's property. Okay. And there's other family with them. Percy's cousin is there and his whole family with the kids. And Lessie's little sister is there. And there's a family friend. So what it, it's basically 
like two cabins on these wooded lots on a dirt road near the shoreline. And so when they get there, the whole thing has been basically underwater through months of the off season. So the first thing mm. that everybody has to do is they have to scrub these cabins like from top to bottom because it's been flooded. Weird. Okay. And um, is this it's a normal thing that happens? Yeah. Okay. Apparently in this area and so levees weren't there then maybe well and this is like this is they called it the lakes um and i'll get a little bit more into it later but um so the women spent like the first part of the trip just scrubbing down these houses the men have basically macheted a path down to the lake so they can fish gender Mm. roles yay 1912 right but at noon today they're planning to do a fish fry so everything's a little bit chaotic. You know, the men have gone down to the lake to shoot the gar out of the water because the gar are scaring the perch. And um, Lessie and her sister are starting to kind of set out things, cornmeal oil, prep for a fish fry. I would love to shoot gar. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. And that's what, like, all the little kids followed this guy, Paul Mitzi, down to the down to the lake so that he could, like, mm-hmm. shoot gar. Because they would, like, watch for the little silver shot underneath the water. And mm-hmm. then he would aim and shoot the gar and watch it come up. Because they'll scare all the fish away. You oh, know, yeah. They'll eat all the, you know, they'll and, take yeah. all the And they'll fish. take all the, and all the bait and all the everything. And everything. So, yeah. anyway, so, you know, that was, like, one of the kids' most entertaining things. Was I can understand. Running down, watching them shoot gar. And so for the rest of the morning, the men are down there fishing, doing competitions, who can get the biggest catch. The women are up there. Just every time they get a fish, they clean it, they throw it in, they they fry it up. That fish is fucking delicious. I that know. Has been that was for all I could think ever of. Ever since I've been to a good fish fry. Oh, and it sounds, I mean, it sounds so like this, this mm. primitive cabin with like, and it's just straight to the, to the lake and straight back up. And they're laying out these tables out in the grass and... I was like, this kind of sounds fucking amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. So the kids feel all this excitement because, you know, the fish fry starting to get close. They're chasing their dads up and down to the water. They're playing games. They're running amok. Lessie's caught Bobby, the four-year-old, with his sandals off again because this is the way he always is. And she mm-hmm. grabs him. He pulls, she pulls his shoes onto his feet. And there's like a scar on his left toe from a burn he got when he was 18 months old because he is this kind of kid like when he was 18 months old he runs away from his nurse into the yard and stepped in a pile of hot ash and like burned the shit out Mm -hmm. of his foot Mm -hmm. and even like disfigured some of his toes but he was this he couldn't be held still he was like the dennis the menace kid right so he's light-haired he's blue-eyed he's the kid that always pulls things on top of him and crashes into things and you know runs headlong into whatever you know like we all know this kid right Right. thinking of a kid right Right. exactly but um so at this moment, you know, Leslie's trying to get his shoes back on him and saying, like, you need to stay with your daddy. You need to stay with Paul. If he goes down to the water, the lake is five feet of mud, like up to because of the way, you know, it's, right. it's the swamps, you know, because right. of the way it's built. There's five feet of mud that will just suck your feet in. And there's snakes down there and there's oh, gators yeah. down there and you got to be careful. Yeah. So he pulls away from her, of course, because he's not listening to a word she says right. and runs off. And, um. It's not long before a messenger comes from a place down the road and Percy, the dad, is needed. He's a notary public and he's made some deal with the people down the road that he'll sign whatever they need for this transaction they're doing whenever they need it. So he has to put down his rod and go to to his horse and Bobby sees him going and just throws a fit. He like starts going into the road. He jumps up on his dad. He's clawing at him. He's screaming, fighting, saying he wants to go. And in this struggle that he's having trying to get on his dad's horse like the strap on his little straw hat comes loose and breaks and percy finally gets him to get back down and takes you know tells one of the other children to walk him back to the camp Mm -hmm. and he gets on his way 
so other people start arriving for this fish fry. It's getting on close to noon. And um, Leslie's in the cabin. She's making mayonnaise. She's, you know, frying up the fish one by one. And the tables are all dressed and set. People start coming up from the lake. And she brings out a couple plates of fish. And all these kids, they're swarming around the table because finally there's food now. Right. And she looks around and she says, where's Bobby? And everybody kind of looks at each other and they look around and nobody can remember the last time they saw him. And the energy just shifts. Mm. And people just immediately drop what they're doing. And start heading to the water, calling his name, hunting him out. The fish starts just gathering flies on the table. And some of the adults are like, okay. He's not down by the river. He must have gone after his dad. So they start going down the road that his dad rode his horse down to go to the notary public thing. And they find some barefoot footprints of a little kid Mm -hmm. in the dirt. And they follow him and they turn south and they go over a trestle over the lake. But then they just stop. Like there's no more footprints. They just disappear. So this whole, like I was saying, this whole area that they're in is called the lakes, um, or is it, that's what people called it. It's It had gotten recently, pretty recently in the past 10 years to be like a pretty popular tourist destination. So families would go there for day trips or for weekends to just picnic with their, you know, their kids. Hunters and fishers still spend a lot of time out there, but there was a railway that opened in like 1905 that linked Opelousas to the lakes because of how popular it was starting to get. And, um... At this point, like one of the adults who's looking for Bobby actually flags down one of the trains that's on the rail line and starts talking to the people on the trains and saying, hey, have y'all seen this little boy running around anywhere? And they haven't, but a bunch of them get off the, get off the train and start looking with them and join the search party. Two hours later, the railway superintendent has dispatched another train, a special train carrying 100 hunters and fishers who already know the land to help them search for this kid. And um, there's a third train that is full of railway workers getting off of their shift that comes to and basically loads off everybody and everybody's looking for this kid. So night starts to fall and they have not found him. Leslie is walking through the camp like a zombie because there's all these dirty mud covered men wandering around and she starts to hear um, uh, explosions mm. near the water and they're using dynamite now to bring up anything that's stuck under roots and things in the uh-huh. water and using hooks to kind of drag and cause they're looking for the body. <laughs> they're, not, they're not looking for the kid. It's nighttime. It's swampland. You know, it's not tame land. There's alligators everywhere. They think if he's not drowned, he got eaten by something. Right. And <clears throat> so she, Leslie's like, you know, this has just happened this morning. Right. So she's just like grabbing on to anything that she can get. And she's thinking, okay, they haven't found any clothing. You know, this other kid, he got eaten by a gator, but they found scraps of his clothing and things and on things. And she's like, they haven't found anything. So, um, you know, she's like his hat, his hat would have come to the surface. We would have found it somewhere. Right. And there's no hat. So, you know, that night passes. They don't find anything. The next day, she's physically ill. Mm-hmm. And so even though the search is still going, Percy goes in and takes her back home to Opelousas. He's like, everybody and their mother is out there. We have to get you home. And um, so the search continues. It's exhaustive, but they're still not finding anything. They broaden it. The rail starts to send more special trains, more searchers. People start cutting open and examining alligators. I mean, Ooh. like, and there's there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so folks start saying, you know, with a couple of days of this and it's going on a week now, you know, we haven't found anything 
maybe he's not dead. Maybe he got taken. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so it's, and this is one thing they talk about in this book. It's it's worth mentioning that if this missing child was not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, mm-hmm. white kid from, you know, town with well-to-do parents and was from the black community right, right down Swayze Lake, they wouldn't have even had to get to this part. Right. Like, they would have just written it off. There would be no dynamite. There would be no search parties. Right. But, um, you know, people are like, this can't, you know. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. yeah. This this kid can't. And this is this adorable, precocious little light haired. I swear, if it, if a little black boy was this bad behaved as this kid seems to have been, they would have just said, eh. Right. But, um, you know, people couldn't bear the thought. And, and they are, I mean, it is a community. You know, they are looking at his family as their their friends and their you know neighbors and and it is sad and they don't want him to be gone for his parents sake they're invested so they they start hypothesizing this like well what if somebody took him so authorities as far as new orleans start looking for him it's 140 miles away new orleans but it's a train track you know so they're thinking well maybe they put him on the train and Mm -hmm. took him and people are saying like what would be the motive for this though Mm. like what's the motive to pick up a four-year-old boy right near his family's fish camp and just take off with him. Mm, they don't know much of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Those people still children. I know. Right. But, you know, so people, they couldn't really provide an, an answer to the important questions of why there would be a kidnapping. Because, you know, the ransom thing, I mean, the, the Dunbars are well off, but they're not like ransom well off. Right. So they still, they're following every lead, though. And they start thinking about this kidnapping philosophy. And so family and friends locally in Opelousas are trying to figure out what they can do to help. And so a week after the boy's disappearance, the city of Opelousas puts together from all the citizens and businesses in town, a thousand dollar reward for the turn return of the boy. Like individuals have pledged money to get up to the, the amount of a thousand dollars. And, um, that's more than $22,000 in today's wow. money. <clears throat> so it's a big deal. And because of this, partly the national news just like grabs onto this story. All the boys identifying features, the scar on his foot, the moles he has, they're all published in multiple newspapers across the country for easy ID, the address, contact information for the family, everything's listed in the papers nationwide. So the day after this happens, they start getting phone calls, letters, telegrams, um, I guess more letters and telegrams, phone calls, maybe not so much. Um, a lot of them are just like these, in, these sweet old lady postcards of encouragement you know like we're praying for you kind of be ready in case you know god's will kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um but so a lot of them are also little tips of course you know there's there's a thousand dollar reward and percy is personally following up on everyone that he he thinks could be credible so he's traveling across louisiana mississippi alabama trying to check on every single one of these that could possibly be his son. Um, so he gets one, like the, there's a dark Italian woman in Baton Rouge that's seen dragging an unwilling boy onto a skiff in the water. That one doesn't pan out. There's a group of black lumber workers that are acting weird. That one doesn't mm. pan out. A veiled woman in New Orleans, not her. A mm. tramp along the railroad tax. They saw him right. twice. He's got a kid. They lost these people. Um, And there's one tip from like Poplarville, Mississippi, about a traveling piano tuner, an old man who has a small boy, they say fits Bobby's description, um, telling this ridiculous story that a woman just gave him this child. And the child's miserable, cries all the time, please come look at him. 
Percy starts to think maybe this there's something to this one, but then he gets a telegram from the pol- police chief saying, you know, quote, child not yours. Right. Hope stashed. Award increased to $6,000. Wow. So months go by. It's the wintertime. Percy is exhausted. The family finally hires a private investigator because he just can't. I mean, th- and this guy puts like the serious chops into this investigation. They're searching in Philadelphia. They're going door to door in Philadelphia looking for this wow. kid. Wow, that's weird. Yeah, I know. I was like, why? But part of it is there was so much news coverage of it. Mm -hmm. And you know how sensational, I mean, you know how sensational the news is now. Right. But the newspaper business in the early 1900s, like so much of it was so tabloid. Right. That, you know, it's like the whole everybody's behind business was in the newspaper. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all. And and this was that had the nation's attention. Right. So, you know, he's really. These, they're going, they're in Philadelphia, they're all over the place. November comes and goes, December comes and goes. The prevailing hypothesis starts to look like, okay, well, the child may have been taken, but it may have been like by a degenerate. You know, oh, you maybe think? the child got taken by some crazy guy and mm-hmm. murdered on the railway. Um, but even with that, they keep looking. Um, they, I swear they illegally detain like every tramp sure. and vagrant mm-hmm. in every railway in the country, it seems like. And Percy's constantly getting these calls to identify children that aren't his child. He gets there. They don't even look like him. You know, I mean, I can't even imagine how um, dispiriting this whole experience would be. Right. But what do you, I mean, what do you do? And right. Then, do you just quit? Right. And so um, in March, the reward money, the bank has been keeping the reward money, you know, in, in safe. Mm -hmm. And it, it just releases it back to the donors. Mm. It's just like, this isn't gonna, (laughs) this isn't gonna happen. Right. And so, you know, they're basically ready to throw in the towel. But on April 6th, 2013, I said 2013. (laughs) All right, whatever, 1913. (laughs) um, The Dunbars get a telegram. From a group of women in the town of Hub in Mississippi. <clears throat> they said, there's a man here. His name is Walters. He's a tinker. He's been traveling with a young boy. And he stays in different towns for a, quite a long way. It's not like he's just hopping from one to the next. He'll stay. Right. Um, but every time anybody asks him about the boy, he gives these evasive, varying explanations about the kid's parentage. Sometimes it's his kid. Sometimes it's his sister's kid. Sometimes, you know, it's somebody else's. <laughs> He whips the child, you know, he, they've tried to, since finding out about Bobby Dunbar's disappearance, they've tried to examine the child's foot, but he is so dirty that they just can't see if there's a scar or not. Um, But they're asking for more identifying info. Can you send us pictures that aren't just the reward poster? Can you send me something more so that we can tell you if this is a a lead you want to look into? So um, Lessie, she doesn't usually get the mail, Bobby's mom. He, Usually Percy is the one who goes through everything because she's not in a great state. And, um, but somehow she has gotten this. It was, oh, I know why. Because they addressed it to her. It was from the ladies of Hub. Mm-hmm. And it was to Lessie, not not to the family. Um, so she replies to them with the information they're asking for. Sends some pictures. There's a little bit more back and forth. And it starts to sound like this is a better match than they've had as a possibility for a while. Percy contacts the local sheriff there who says they've already interrogated this, this Walters guy. Um, but now that the Dunbars are involved, he's like, okay, I'm going to keep tabs on him. We'll, we'll make sure we know where he is. Um, 
Percy tells the sheriff, like, listen, I've done this a million times. It's probably not him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm remembering getting a previous, like, thing from a nearby town about a piano tuner and mm-hmm. it didn't pan out. And it's just, I'm pretty sure this isn't him. But, um, you know, then they get a, a series of pictures back from the ladies of Hub after they've sent more in- identifying information. And they're pictures of this child that the tinker has. And they immediately telegram back and say, we're on our way. Right. So, how are they getting pictures so easily in 1913? I don't know. That's why I was like, how do telegram? You they can't like, telegram like? pictures, right? I don't know. That that was a part I didn't quite understand. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't as fast as, you know, I'm probably making it sound. But April and 20th. And how do they take them? Because it's still like, I don't know what photography was then, but it's like, how do you get a candid picture of the people like on the street without like, all the powder and the psh, I yeah know. i don't know in 1912 <laughs> well i think they had handhelds like i think it was more yeah, uh okay. consumerized you by have, like a family somebody has a camera, somebody a like i mean camera. if you had like yeah somebody in town probably yeah. had like a camera and was able to kind of shoot a picture i guess yeah well and there's so their first telegram came on the 6th of april and percy goes to hub on the 20th so all of that back and forth was sending pictures and stuff that was several weeks mm-hmm. um god i bet that's awful too like mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing moves fast in 1912 right 1913 so um so it's april 20th percy goes he is like there's no way i'm letting my wife come for this right. again um when he arrives it's like it's not even sunrise and hub when he gets there um he gets off the train and even though the sun has hardly even just come up all the ladies of hub who sent this telegram are standing there on the platform waiting for him to get off they're telling him again all the stories that they told in the telegrams they're telling i saw walters whip the boy three times yesterday they he's told us four different origins of where this child is from um so the sheriff's deputy meanwhile has apprehended walters now knowing that percy's on his way that he's there and the boy is now safe with one of the other deputies um so they said okay mr dunbar come out and meet us so he arrives at the spot and there's a man um deputy charles day sitting behind the wheel of a car and there's a little boy in his lap playing with the dashboard controls is dirtiest child he has ever seen he is filthy his hair is like matted like matted to his head with dirt um, his clothes are all torn. There's dried dirt all over his, his arms and his legs and hands. And Percy gets close and he looks down at the kid and he says, Bobby. And the boy looks up. Mm. And Percy thinks, oh my God, he knows his name. He's responding to me. Onlookers recall later that yes, the boy did look up when he spoke, but he immediately started looking back down at the <clears throat> dashboard again. Um, so they're like, maybe it wasn't recognition. Maybe it was just, there's a guy talking to me. Right. I look up. It was a sound. And I, go and I back looked to up. What I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and then Percy says, that's my boy. And he reaches down for him. And wouldn't you think him, though, Bobby would recognize his dad? I mean, that's the question that is this entire thing over and six. over. It just keeps on happening. Was he four? Like, he was four. Yeah. And it's been eight months, I think. I thought you said it was. 
two. Oh, I thought it'd been two years. It was oh. August. It was August twenty third when he disappeared in nineteen twelve, oh. oh, and okay. then now we're in April of nineteen thirteen. Why did I think it was nineteen eleven? Okay, sorry. So like it's been, but it's been. I mean, it's it's a long time for for a four year old. Right, that's true. You know, I mean, and so it's kind of especially a traumatized. Hard to say. Yeah, or yeah. Is he traumatized? Is you know right. dirty? Obviously. So, so not yeah, they're they're just so many. And in nineteen twelve, I don't know. You know what the understanding of trauma would have been, anyways. If right. that would have probably not factored into people's understanding of this whole thing. But that is the question that comes up: is would he not have recognized, <laughs> and would they not have recognized him? There was so much judgment in this whole story put on to Lessie, especially for how could a mother not know? And um, so Percy says, "That's my boy," and he pulls the child out of Day's lap, and the child goes fucking berserk. He mm-hmm. is howling, kicking fighting, screaming, trying to reach back to get back to where he was sitting. He wants to go back to the sheriff's deputy. So um, so Dunbar is like, okay. And he gives him back, lets him sit down. Um, and people are like, okay, well, maybe. And, you know, they were saying like, well, maybe there's something, you know, maybe he got beat too much. You know, maybe mm-hmm. he's lost his memory. Maybe got he's hit in the head too Yeah, hard maybe something. he's just confused. He's yeah. just confused. So Percy kind of wanders around the car looking at the kid for a while. He keeps looking at his eyes. They're blue like like Bobby's eyes. And but he said this Bobby's eyes were really big and round in this eyes. This this kid's eyes are like kind of um tapered like um uh what did they say? drawn. Mm-hmm. And so there's a doctor, I forgot to say, there's a doctor who's come with them for this, this part. And he's like, well, you know, he's been out in the sun. He's been, if he's been out in the elements. They want it to be that boy so bad. They want it to be, yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've also gone through so many of these things. I know, and they've said no to them. And they've said no to all of these things. So it's like, I know that there, there's got to be some, some element of desperation in Mm -hmm. any of these. But at the same time, they have said no, like a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the doctor's like, ah, you know, it could really, that could account for maybe a, a change in the look of his eyes. So Percy kind of slowly gets to where the boy will come to him and be a little bit more comfortable with him. And he and the doctor managed to take him off to kind of a private area so they can really give him examine a bath. him. Yeah. Well, and, and look at his feet. They're looking for identifying marks. They get him undressed and, um, you know, Percy talks about this the next day with reporters that he says the mole above the left wrist is there. The yeah. cow lick in his hair is there, which I was like, is that really an identifying factor? Because like every little boy I've ever known has a, has cow, a cow lick, lick in his lick. hair. Right. The burn scar on the foot, he says, is, quote, somewhat rubbed off on account of the elements. But he says it's still there. And I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. But um, so when the doctor and Percy come back out with the boy, Percy is just in tears. He says, this is either my son or it's his twin likeness. Um, and because they, they can't really do a definitive identification, you know, and there, there is no fingerprint identification. Right. Um, and they can't do a definitive identification without his mother's word also. Right. So he basically like lets, he gives the child back to the deputies. He's like, okay, you, you take him, your wife is at home. You have kids, you take him, feed him, wash him. I'm going to go talk to this Walters guy. Right. Which I was just like why you get to do that? Like Mm -hmm. has police changed a lot? Because I don't think victims are allowed to go and like talk to the people. Right. But, um, he's also rich and Walters is poor. So, um, but so Walter, William Cantrell Walters is the guy who had custody of this child. 
and they say he's rough looking quote unquote mm -hmm. um they say he looks like a tramp or an outlaw which mm -hmm. so he's got like a mix of outsized and undersized clothes on you know he's 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 not well dressed he's grizzled he's got a kind of crappy mustache his face is really gaunt and he's he's got eyebrows that just look mad you mm -hmm. know and he's he's got a very piercing gaze and percy says later that the man is stubborn and won't tell him where he's from he won't tell him where he got that you know he won't tell him what he's been doing and i'm thinking like well if the guy had an ounce of sense in his head he would know you have no right to interview him like right. why would he tell you anything right and um consistently the only thing he says consistently is he did not steal this child and he says the boy's name is Bruce Anderson. He's had him for more than a year. I can produce witnesses to that effect from Missouri or from, I'm sorry, from Mississippi. I was given the child by his mother, Julia Anderson in North Carolina in February of the year before when the child was only three. He repeats this information over and over and over again. And him <clears throat> and Percy and the police interview this man until after midnight. And he never wavers on any of this stuff. So the next day, Walters is like, well, I'm in some serious shit. So he calls local attorneys, um, Thomas Dale and Clifton Rawls, and he asks for them to represent him because he's like, clearly they're going to charge me. Right. And um, when he talks to these guys, they're like, this dude is like on the verge of lynching. Mm -hmm. Like the whole nation has followed the story of this kidnapped kid. And if he's the guy that did it. Right we're all fucked. Right. You know, I mean, they'll basically like take him flat out of jail and hang him. Right. And they're like, we, we don't want that to happen. They're mm -hmm. like, but they're not going to take this case if, if it doesn't look like he's got a case. Right. So they go in and, um, they start to talk to him and he is extremely calm, extremely competent and very, very confident in his story. And he consistently says, I am 100% innocent. I have memorized a list of people from um, Poplarville and Pearl River County in Mississippi who can back up my claim and can tell you that I was with them and stayed with them at their houses before this child was even kidnapped. He's like, and I'll give you the names, I'll give you the contact information, get them here. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, when they also talk to him, they realize he's never actually been arrested. They never charged him with kidnapping because Percy Dunbar hadn't gotten there to identify the child. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's been... Illegally detained. Yes, he's been illegally detained this whole time. So they get him released. And of course, three hours later, Percy has identified the child tentatively and they charge him with kidnapping and they mm -hmm. take him back in and put him back in custody. So um, meanwhile, as soon as this has all happened with Percy and the child, you know, he call, he he contacts Leslie and says, you really need to come see this child. And before she even gets on the train in Opelousas, like the newspapers are already crowing that the Dunbars have found their kid. Mm. They're like, he is here and he is, you know, they found their boy in Mississippi and the reporters are staking out every hotel along the route. They're staking out all the train stations because they've all got photographers and they want the photo of the mom and the boy reunited right. on the front page of their newspaper right so um there are all these photographers kind of hunting the child is still at the deputy's house at this point and they've put him to bed when leslie arrives it's almost 10 p.m and still there are crowds of people like crowds of people all along the road to the wallace's house this is the deputy's house um waiting to find out what happens the papers say, and this is probably an exaggeration, but the papers say there were nearly a thousand people around the cabin where the kid is staying 
just trying to get a glimpse of the mother going in. So there are onlookers who actually have pushed their way inside the cabin. There are people from town filling every room of this man's right. house. Get them out of there. You're right. A, you're a sheriff. Get them out of there. That's what Rest I said, them. too. I was like, why did they not kick them out? Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. But this guy also later on causes kind of a ruckus because he knows that there's a $6,000 reward. Mm. And he and two other sheriff's deputies consider themselves the beneficiaries of this reward and he actually holds on to this kid at one point in the story because Uh he needs something to say that he's gonna get two thousand dollars out of oh damn well isn't that like extortion or kidnapping right i know or hostage what what do they call it so he like um so you know he maybe he didn't kick those people out because he wanted so much you know he wanted uh, everybody who could see to know that this had to be the kid, you know, maybe right. he just wanted more verification. Um, but so Lessie and Percy get there and they basically have to push their way through the halls and into there. They have to push their way up to the child's bedside. He is sleeping somehow. Right. Yeah. In a, a room filled with people. And um, they're pushing their faces up against the window. Like, and there's no light. I mean, they have to hold up a lamp to show Lessie what the baby looks like. And, um, when when they do that, Lessie kind of gets close to him and she stares at him. They he's dead asleep. They move him around in the bed so she can look at his feet because they have washed him up now. The mm-hmm. wife has washed him up, and the only the only words that were quoted in the paper of her during that time were "I do not know. I am not quite sure." Mm-hmm. And they wake him at this point ten ten p.m. with a room full of strangers. They wake this four-year-old up mm-hmm. and Lessie reaches for him. And of course he flips his shit. He's screaming. Yeah. He's like panicked Yeah, because he's woken from a dead sleep with all these adults standing around him. Right. And um, finally the sheriff, finally the sheriff clears the room at this point. The right. sheriff finally realizes this is going to be a problem and clears the room. Um, but, you know, she tries to have a little time with him, but he is t- so tired that he just goes back to sleep and the Dunbars go back to the house that they're staying in with some local friends that they've made, just not really sure what what they're going to make of it. Of course, the papers ran with this too. They're like, Dunbar woman, not sure if this is her child. And this is where all the judgment starts setting in. People are like, how do you not know that that's your child? It sounds like the changeling. Oh, really? Yeah. Have I seen the, is it a movie or is it a Mm -hmm. book? Mm -hmm. I think it's both. But it's set in the 30s. Yeah. Well, maybe this is what it's based on. Well, it's just the idea that a woman lost her child and then they bring her, the cops bring a child back to her and like, here's your kid. She's like, I don't think that's my kid. But they like try to force it on her and say, yes, it is your son. Yes, it is your son. Well, it's not unlike this, as Mm -hmm. you'll find out. I mean, so they, the Dunbars come back first thing as soon as it's light in the morning. First thing in the morning, they're back. And of course, there's already (laughs) crowds of people following them everywhere they go. And, um, you know, the kid is out there playing in the yard when they get there and they basically have to, they, they have convinced this, this deputy that they're going to pay him his reward. Mm-hmm. So he lets the child go with them to their friend's house. They're like, we need time with him right. without a billion people around. Right. So they have to coax him and bribe him to get him into the car, but they finally do get him in. They take him back to the house and he kind of starts to settle in like this couple they're staying with. They have kids. They have a big place. I mean, a big mansion, just beautiful. I mean, this if if this were not Bobby Dunbar, it'd probably be stuff he'd never seen before. Right. Um, but, you know, so he, he's got 
friendly, you know, four-year-olds mm-hmm. make friends like that. Oh, so right. he's got yeah. immediate friends. He's yeah. got a 12-year-old and a six-year-old. They're running around. At one point, Percy brings a pony into the yard for them to play with. And he says that this is a test, that he grabs Bobby and he puts it on, puts him on the pony's back. And then he snatches him back off the pony. Mm-hmm. And and he's and the the kid like flips out again Mm -hmm. he like throws a fit right and he's like that has to be bobby because bobby would get really mad at that too it's like um, every four-year-old every four-year-old and you're an asshole like why did you do that so um unless he takes a quieter approach she kind of gets him apart from everybody after he started to have a good time and relaxed and everything she, you know, gives him another bath. She talks to him while they're walking, all these things. Um, and she talks to him about, like, his life before. Mm-hmm. And she tries to remind him of the things he used to like and the places they lived. And don't you remember Margaret who lived next door? And um, he asks at one point to see his brother Alonzo. And she's like, okay, I this is important that he's asking for his brother by name, I know he has heard his brother's name mm-hmm. in all these conversations. So she's trying to be like, right, even my even keel, mm-hmm. but um, but it's it's a hopeful thing for her. And then she bathes him, she dresses him as she's pulling on a new pair of sandals that were borrowed from the friends they're staying with. He says, "Mama, they're just like the ones mm-hmm. I had before I left home." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh my God, he just called me Mama, and he remembered me putting his sandals on the morning that he disappeared." Mm-hmm. And so she just breaks into tears. She throws her arms around him. He lets her Mm -hmm. hold on to him and hug him. And, you know, within a day, they are sending telegrams to people in Opelousa saying, like, this is my son. He is alive and well. We have Bobby back. Um, Unfortunately, this means charges for Walter. No no question Walters is going to be charged. Dale and Rawls are... The lawyers are just scrambling like crazy to get these witnesses from Pearl River County to come out because they're like, holy shit, like this is going to have to be really fast. But the weather is awful. And the guy, the folks are in a car together on their way from Poplarville to Columbia, where he's now being held. Columbia, Columbia. No, it's Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. And but the roads have flooded and they can't get through. They ended up having to turn back. So the lawyers contact the Dunbars and they're like, please, please, please. I know that this is important to you. Wait until we can get these people here and let them have their say. Don't take the boy yet. Just give us, give us a couple days. And instead four in the morning, the next day, the Dunbars are on their way back to Opelousas with the boy on a train. Mm -hmm. So this is a really long story. So I'm going to stop it here for right now. Because I'm having a hard time cutting stuff out. You can probably tell. It's oh, very really detailed. Good. So you should totally check out this book. I feel book. like I'm watching a movie. Right? right? The, the end. That's, so that's the end of this installment. But um, next, next time we talk, Julia Anderson, the mother of Bruce, who Walters says right. is the boy he has, comes into the picture. Oh, wow. And legally has her say. And the newspapers just keep on going wild. Wow. So, yes. Awesome. Part one. Part one of the Changeling. Yeah, yeah man. Now I'm like, I should watch the Changeling. There are apparently two. Well, Changeling is Angelina Jolie, and it's a Clint Eastwood movie from the mid 2000s. There's apparently the Changeling, which looks more like a horror movie. Which right. Oh. Show it's where the ball comes <laughs> down yeah. the stairs. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. wait, I haven't seen either of these. Yes. Well, Changeling is more like said. I think it's 20s or 30s, and and it's like her son disappears and then they send her one on the train and it's like here's your son back and she's like oh. mm. and they're like well you're crazy and 
There's Gaslighting. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, does it not have you sitting here thinking, like, I don't know if I would. Like, would I? Would I know? Well, I mean, we have pictures now. Like, they yeah. don't. Like, yeah. I know. That was well, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, if I didn't have photos. Like, and I especially know. back in the day, I mean, I feel like we spend a lot more time with our children. Mm-hmm. Or back in the day, they had a bunch of children and they were all sent outside. Yes. And they, or had, they had to, had like, feed them. Like, or, like literally yeah. go out. Pick the food, cook right. the food, spend all day preparing for the husbands and the, the children to eat. Like, or right. pay people to do it, in which case those people were also paid to watch your children. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, right. But these exactly. people were actually cooking, right? So they're like mm-hmm. that middle class-ish. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah. Good job. I don't have kids, so I can't say that I would memorize every part of their face, but I could think that I would be like, I don't know. I, I think if someone came to me with a certainty about it, I would struggle. I would. I think Wouldn't I might struggle. I don't know. I'm just trying to be, like, realistic about. It. I was like, would but, I? Would I? Not? You want to say like, yeah, you'd totally know, like, if it was your kid or not. I know. But also, children like eight months. Exactly. There's a lot of so little. Time. They're yes. going to look when different. Four, yes, yeah. they grow a lot. They change. Yeah. It's 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 a weird situation. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. So and it's gonna get weirder. <laughs> Thanks y'all so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. We do. Take care. Take care. Goodbye. Wear a mask. Bye. Bye.